0: Welcome to the sober nation FM podcast where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by sobriety engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support community and fellowship sobriety engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery, you can get a ton of great tips, resources and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with musician, singer, songwriter, and recovery advocate, Joe Nester. Thanks for joining me, Joe.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, man. I'm Absolutely.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to have you, man. So I, I want to jump right in here, okay? So your sobriety date is December 18th of 2012, right? It is
1: by the uh, grace of a loving higher power. That's awesome,
0: man. That's awesome. So a little over seven years sober now. So tell me, what were things like before you got sober, and how did you end up finding your way into recovery?
1: Um. Well, it, it's kind of crazy. Um. Well, things were really bad for me. Um. You know, but it it wasn't always that way. I I come from a really good background, a good upbringing. Um, I never even partied like all the way through high school. Okay. Had the group of friends uh growing up from the age of six all the way through high school. Graduated with a uh, you know, uh, I think 3.6 grade point average. Oh wow. Uh, was an all-state baseball pitcher and everything. Uh, I got heavy into music and uh that's kind of when things went downhill for me. Um, got introduced to drugs at the age of 19 by my uh my two best friends at the time that I grew up with okay. uh, and I just kind of like took things to a whole nother level, man. Yeah. Like it's just, it's weird. Uh, you know, this here's this kid, 19 years old. He doesn't even, I've never even like really drank, never really smoked weed like that. I probably smoked weed like five times okay. in high school. Yeah. I never partied. And, uh, I hear my friends just one day after a show, um, introduced me to crack
0: wow okay. that's a big that's a big jump there man <laughs> weed right to crack most of the time there's like a few steps
1: right in it's like in there. process you yeah. kind of like slowly like ease your way into it yeah you know? but man. Uh, man it was it was all out for me okay uh, straight from the gate and yeah. um you know i didn't really know that i had um you know those tendencies you know I didn't know that I had that genetic makeup. Um, so like the, the second that I took that first hit of crack, you know, as soon as those chemicals entered my bloodstream, it was over. Wow! Uh, All I wanted was more. Yeah. And like I said, like my friends at the time, they were kind of like weekend warriors, Mm
0: -hmm, so -hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Um, Smoking crack like gentlemen, like gentlemen do. You know,
1: I mean, they go to work all week, you know, oh, yeah. and, and uh, you know, they had their stuff together and then they would just party on the weekends. Not okay. me. You know, yeah. I took that first hit of crack and like was off to the races. Yeah. I wanted all I wanted was more every single day. And, and like I said, I, I kind of took it to a, a whole nother level um, fairly quickly. Um, and in just a few short months, I had already lost my job. I had a great job. I was, I was doing uh plumbing with my uncle. Okay. I was making like over $30 an hour. Yeah. 19 year old kid living at home with his grandparents. I didn't have any bills. So I had all this money stacked up and I just burned through it, man. Mm. And uh, it just took me down a really dark path. Crack led to heroin. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I come from a very close knit background, like a close loving family. Um, went to church every Sunday, uh, the family celebrated every holiday together, every birthday together, every Sunday, all my aunts and uncles and everybody in the family would come over for a family dinner.
0: Wow. You know? Yeah. That does sound and it was pretty like tight knit.
1: Yeah, man. Really tight knit, loving family. And nobody in my family had, um, really, uh, experienced addiction before.
0: Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah.
1: And like I didn't want to put them through the heartache and pain that I knew I was going to put them through, mm. you know. Like I said, like crack led to heroin, and and once I tried heroin, <clears throat> I immediately fell in love. You know.
0: So so real quick, I'm just curious, like this timeline. So like you start smoking weed at 19, and and then eventually it's or not too long after it's getting into crack, and then it's heroin. Like how long for you? I mean, it sounds like. Things went pretty quickly, obviously, like we just touched on. So, how long from the time like you smoked weed at nineteen to you're doing heroin? like how what was that progression like for you?
1: So I could actually pretty much give you an exact time frame, okay. it impacted my life uh, so greatly that like it just sticks out in my mind. Mm. Um, it wasn't even really smoking weed like that. i I, I wasn't even doing that. So yeah. it was just I got introduced to crack on a Friday night in February of 2002. Okay. Yeah. That, that was the night that forever changed my life. And three months after that is when my friends were like, Whoa, Joe, you know, you're, uh, you're kind of like taking this to the next level. Wow!
0: Three nights. It only took three nights for your friends to be like, Hey, you know, you're three months, three months, three months. Yeah. Okay. Still,
1: you know, yeah. they're they like, you know, you're, you're going overboard. Um, try this and it was a little blue bag of heroin mm. and uh i started sniffing it and that lasted probably may yeah that lasted about a month okay just sniffing it and then i went straight to uh injecting it mm. and uh it wasn't even a month after that that um i had made the decision because i come from such a close-knit family Yeah, um, I started to have these thoughts uh, of, you know, stealing from my grandparents, and, you know, robbing my family members. And like, I didn't want to put them through that heartache and pain, you know, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I didn't want them to find out and try to convince me to stop. Yeah, because I wasn't stopping you. I wasn't ready to stop. I didn't want to stop. And uh, ultimately, i made the decision in the summer of 2002 to uh pack a book bag in the middle of the night and run away wow and uh i'm not talking about you know running away to friends houses right right i literally chose to be homeless at the age of 19. um i remember walking through the city that night and uh, i camped up i camped out at an old church that we used to go to um I slept on the side of the church that night. And I I remember, I remember it clearly like it was yesterday. Um, I told myself, you know, this is i am 19 years old, right? Okay. This is only going to be for the summer. Um, after the summer I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to enroll in the college and it's just going to be this wild and crazy experience that I tell my kids, you know, when I grow up, um, regretfully, uh, and unfortunately that summer lasted 10 years. Wow. Um, yeah. It <laughs> and uh, my friends who I was running with at the time, eventually, uh, you know, they they became homeless as well with me. And uh, we would sleep on cardboard boxes. You know, we would use cardboard boxes for a bed, sleep on the side of the church, or we would sleep underneath, uh, you know, I'm from Wilmington, Delaware um which is up north Uh, we would sleep underneath the i-95 overpass you know and wake up every morning and just go do our thing you know we adapted to that street mentality that's that street life you know it's a completely different world than i was used to you know i was sheltered from that my whole life uh but i quickly became adapted to it and uh learned how to hustle you know i started off um you know, panhandling, you know, asking for money, you know, holding the little cardboard sign up, asking for change. Cause I was young. I still had my looks. I I wasn't like crazy looking. Addiction hadn't taken its toll on me yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, That lasted a while. And then, um, panhandling led to, you know, shoplifting, you know, got locked up, uh, did a little bit of time, got out, Uh, shoplifting led to robbery, robbery led to, um, you know, selling drugs, you know, selling drugs led to, you know, ultimately selling myself, you know, everything that I said, I would never do every time I would get locked up, I'd serve some time and I would get out and I would just go deeper and deeper down the hole.
0: Yeah. Keep crossing those lines. So, I mean, man, you come from a really close family so i'm guessing i mean they had to be like looking for you and and trying to get a hold of you or reaching out to you what what was going what was the deal with all that
1: so to an extent yeah they they, did you know in the beginning
0: okay okay they
1: wanted to do everything they could to help sure um i remember i overdosed one time uh, actually at my my real mom's house. My parents divorced when I was six. Okay. Um, so I would usually just see my mom on the weekends. Uh, but I remember it was really cold out one night. And, uh, you know, the snow was like really bad. It was a bad winter storm. And I didn't think I was going to make it through the night. Mm-hmm. I remember I walked something like four or five miles in the snow <clears throat> to my mom's house. Yeah. And, uh, of course, she let me in. And uh, I told her everything that was going on. And, uh, you know, my mom was in a car accident a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So she had a lot of pain meds.
0: Yeah. I knew you were going
1: to say that. Yeah. And, uh, I remember taking all the pain meds in her medicine cabinet. Wow. On top of heroin on, on top of everything else. And I overdosed mm-hmm. and, um, I remember waking up in the hospital and my dad was there and my family was there and, uh, they were really worried, man. They were concerned and, and it kind like really like just they were scared and, and, and wanted to just have their son back. You sure. Know? Did
0: they did they have any idea? Like I'm sure they had like probably thought you were getting high or something like that at this point, but did they have any idea that things were to this extent at all?
1: No. Okay. No, not at all. Um I don't want to say like they turned their heads, you know what I mean? Or like, just kind of like, didn't want to believe it. Right. You know, because like, I was such a good kid growing up, Mm -hmm. you know, I was the all state baseball pitcher. You know, I did make the newspapers. I always excelled in everything that I did in my life. And I was always one of the most well liked popular kids in school. Um, So like, I just think part of them, you know, wanted to say like, not my son, you know, my son's not that bad. He's not doing those things, Um, but I had to sit there and tell him, you know, I was honest and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. uh, So they pulled some strings and they got me into a rehab in Baltimore. Okay. And um, it was a faith-based program. Mm -hmm. And I remember going into the doors of this place and I did want to get clean. Like I, I was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. Right. Okay. But it was in the heart of Baltimore city. It was on a drug block and they put me in the only room in the house that had a window to the fire escape. Ah. Everybody in the rehab was getting high, sneaking out of going in and out of my room, up and down the fire escape all hours of the day and night Mm. scoring drugs. And I'm watching them get high. Wow. And it was only a matter of time. Sure. You know? And uh, I was off running again. And uh once I did that, it was kind of like <clears throat> it's like almost like spitting in my dad's face. Yeah. You know? Almost like, you know, you don't want the help. You just want to get high. And, and and from that moment on, uh, my family just took a step back and was tough love. You know, I was like, "We're not going to associate with this. We're not going to be involved in this crap." Yeah. Um, you know, we're here for you when you actually want to do it. Yeah. Well.
0: Wow. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm sure you've had similar conversations before. It's such a difficult thing. Like, and and I was going to get into this a little later, but you know, you've got a pretty big following on Facebook, and I'm sure you have people and through your music obviously and I'm sure you have people reaching out to you and probably even family members and I've had a lot of conversations like this more recently it's like family members wanting to know like what do I do and it's such a hard thing right because like you you want to help and I, I think man I honestly you know just objectively it sounds like your, your family handled it like kind of the way that like professionals might suggest, like give them this opportunity. And then if they're not ready, like it's so hard, but like, you kind of have to let them figure it out because what, what I don't want to happen is, is I don't want to keep, you know, being this person's out. Right. Like I don't want to keep rescuing them. Yeah. And preventing them from getting, I, I don't know, I'm not even going to use the term rock bottom, but from getting to a point where it's so bad that they finally have this conclusion within themselves, like, I just can't, I really, I really am ready now. So do you, do you ever have people reaching out to you, like, asking, like, what should I do about my son or my daughter?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. All the time. Uh, yeah. I get numerous messages every day. So tough. Same thing. Yeah. You know? And, and, and unfortunately, like, you know, from, from the perspective of the outsider looking in, you know, somebody who's not addicted, they don't understand it No, you know, whether it be the wife or whether it be the, the mother or the sister, whatever, it's like, they don't understand addiction and they're just like, well, he has, he or she has children. You know, why can't they get clean for their children? Yeah, why yeah. can't they? Get, and, and even it says, you know, in the, in the program that I work, that frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. Hmm. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you have kids. Yeah. It doesn't matter if, you know, you have a family, a loving family. It doesn't matter if you have a job that you're going to It doesn't matter. You know I mean? An addict is going to get high. Yeah. You know, they're running, they're escaping, they're masking uh, from something much deeper. You know, it's like the drugs are just a symptom, you know, that like, they're just using that as something to fill that void, you know, whatever pain they're going through in their life. Um, so, you know, I, I tell them all the time, you know, not to enable, you know, first, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. uh, tough love. Um, because in my experience, because I've been in their shoes, I know and I can confidently say that, you know, rarely does an addict change until the pain becomes great enough. Yeah. However that may look. Yeah. There's all sorts of different bottoms.
0: That's just, true.
1: You know, when that person's had enough and they're ready to make a change, it's on them. That's,
0: that's yeah. That that's a good point, man. Well, and so you were just, just referencing there uh, you know, a passage in in the AA big book. So I want to ask you, so you went through this whole deal, you you went to one treatment center, you weren't, you weren't quite ready. It was tough. People are getting high around you. Uh, Eventually you find your way into recovery. So what, how how did that come about? And, and and just how did you get started there? What what did all that look like in the
1: beginning? So it's, it's very funny. And like, I don't even want to say funny, but it's ironic. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, And like, as I tell my story like it, it's really cool to look back in hindsight and see god's hand in all of it Absolutely. like there was some crazy master plan
0: yes. behind
1: all of it so like um i told you like my best friends introduced me to the drugs right
0: right, right.
1: and then we were homeless together yeah eventually they left okay. they went and got clean okay did their thing, whatever yeah i continued to rip and run hmm. i continued to stay homeless continue to go to prison. And like I said, that lasted 10 years from 2002 to 2012. Right. Uh, Now here it is 2012. I'm at the lowest part of my addiction, you know, literally robbing banks, like, like some movie type stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, 130 pounds soaking wet, Mm -hmm. missing all my teeth from fighting, trying to rob drug dealers. Um just completely broken and hopeless. And it's December of 2012. And um it's funny because we were set to rob this one bank and it was across state lines, it was near a police station, and everything about it seemed wrong. <laughs> and I told my friends, yeah. this, I'm like, this doesn't seem good. This is not right. a good idea.
0: Right, right.
1: Um and, and, and God saved me, man. Um uh, out of the blue, right before we hit that bank, I got a call and it was from my best friend, the same one who introduced me to crack 10 years ago. And he was in South Florida and he was clean. And he was just there to say like, Joe, I know what you're going through. I hear what's been going on. And uh, if you feel like, you know, everything up there reminds you of getting high and, and every person, That you know is affiliated with drugs, like, and you're just thinking that there's no way out. Like, I'm living proof. I'm down in Florida, I'm clean, I have an amazing life now, and you can too, if you're just willing to try. Wow. And at this point, like I was so broken and hopeless. Like, I didn't think there was any way out. Nobody that I had I had been running for 10 years, and everybody that I knew was either getting high, doing life in prison, or or dead. You know, like it's just that's just how the cards fell. Mm -hmm. That's the decisions that I made and I got to deal with my consequences now. Mm -hmm. Um, But when that opportunity was, was set in front of me, I don't know what it was, man, but I immediately said yes. And uh, the next day I was on a 26 hour train ride down to South Florida uh, with nothing but the clothes on my back. I was scared. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. But it was time to make a change. And um, this is why I say it's funny because I feel like God saved me that night. Because that day, that same day that I caught the train is the same day that they hit that bank. And they got on a high-speed car chase across state lines, got caught with guns, money, and drugs. And like, some of them got football numbers in prison. At the time, I was already a three-time felon. So I probably would have gotten life. Wow. But it's almost like God was like, "You know, here's this opportunity. you know you have a chance, you have a choice right now in your life. you can continue doing what you've been doing, you know, or you can try something different. Wow, you no, know? and uh, I thank God every day, man. Every day I wake up, I look in the mirror and i I thank God that I made the choice to come down to Florida to get clean,
0: you know, no. yeah, um." Man, you, you yeah. know th- this is why I love having conversations like this because, and this is this is why we need to connect to others. I mean, it's just such a a strong reminder. Number one, but I just love hearing stories like this. And and I'll just say, you know, I'm sure there are probably some people listening to this that are new to recovery, uh, and or you know, struggling with like the higher power thing. And and I'll just be real honest. And I've been honest about this before, like you know, I believe that there was something out there, but man, when we're out there, you know, like you were robbing banks and all like, dude, let's be real. Like you don't have a relationship with a higher power, As much as you think you might believe in something like, it's just not, it's not happening, you know? And I never thought I would be someone to talk about spirituality or God or, or anything like that, but I'm with you 100%. I think I would be ignorant to look back at some of these things that I initially thought were coincidences and not think like okay there was clearly you know I'm about to go rob a bank and my phone just happens to ring and it's this guy basically giving me a get out of jail free card Uh, and one thing I think is really interesting that you pointed out it's like you were getting ready to rob a bank with maybe some like natural fear, but it sounds like the fear to go get clean was much greater than that of getting ready to rob the spec.
1: It, it was <laughs> honestly because it is so different and yeah. so foreign. Robbing a bank was something that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. I'd been getting high, you know, that's what I'm comfortable with. That's mm-hmm. what I'm used to. Um, prison doesn't even scare me. And yeah. I that, That's not what scared me. You know, wow. it's just, Getting clean scared of me. Yeah. You
0: know? Well, so so let me ask you this, man, because we mentioned, you know, you're connected to to a lot of people through social media and through your music, and um, you, you know, you've got people reaching out to you, like we just talked about. And what is one of the biggest struggles that you see other people dealing with
1: early on in recovery? <sighs> well, I have people who reach out to me like numerous times a day. Probably, I probably get like a hundred messages, 200 messages a day. And um, most of the times when they reach out and they're struggling, you know, I, I get people that reach out and say that they relapsed. You know, I get people that say like, oh, I had this amount of time and then I went back out and I'm just struggling. And for some reason, like a lot of people like, This is just in my experience, you know, uh, they, uh, I ask them, like, have you been going to meetings? Sure. Sure. Do you have a sponsor? Are you working the steps? Do you Mm. have a support group? How close are you with your higher power? Mm. And They almost fail every one of those questions. Mm. You know, they lack in that area. And just like in my experience, like the, the, a 12 step program, you know, getting a sponsor working the steps and going to meetings and creating that relationship with my higher powers, ultimately what saved me.
0: Mm.
1: Like I said, like the, the addiction and the drugs were just a symptom. You know what I mean? So if I just want to get clean and say like, all right, I'm done. I'm just not going to do it anymore. And, uh, and I continue to live my life, you know, uh, You know, those fears, those emotions are still going to get the best of me. And ultimately, I'm not taking care of the root of the problem, you know. So ultimately, I'm going to go back to what I know. You know, I'm going to continue to mask and continue to, you know, cover that pain with something. Um, Yeah. And and working the steps is is what saved my life because I'll tell you right now, I feel like everybody. I feel like a twelve-step program could benefit everybody. Yeah, I'd people, agree with that. Yeah, you know, in, in recovery, um, sure, because you know it, it gives you the tools to deal with life on life's terms. Mm. You know, you get to learn about yourself. You get to you get to learn about your character defects. Why you do the things you do? Why you? think the way you think. And, and, and once you've had these tools, you're able to see these red flags. You're able to see these signs like, Oh, I know where that reads. Yeah. Now, I, I, I know what, what this mindset is going to, you know, transform into mm-hmm. and, and it's going to lead me down a dark road and I don't want to go down that road anymore. I want to yeah. continue this road. And it just gives you the tools to kind of combat those urges and those cravings. So when I get these messages, you know, oh, I had 90 days clean. Oh, I had six months clean. I hear people even, oh, I had three, four years clean and they went back out. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing, man. I do the same things today that I learned, you know, way back seven years ago. You know, I I, I keep it fresh in my mind. Like I said, every day I wake up and I thank God because I know where I could be. I could be sitting in that prison, you know, doing football numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I just continue to stay close to my higher power. I continue to be of maximum service to others, and, and just do the things that they taught me in the beginning. You know, uh, I think that's that's very key. Uh, but that's one of my most asked questions: is like, okay. how do you? It's like we can get clean for a certain amount of time. Yeah. But how do you, you know, stay clean?
0: Yeah. How do you have that? You know, first defense. Uh, against, you know, against, uh, how do you, you know, and, and how do you keep it? And, and I'll just say again, you know, I, I think you just made a good point there, you know, whether, um, like someone listening to the show, for instance, is in a 12 step program or or they're doing something different. Fine. Like, you know, I'm not here to sway someone one way or the other, but you do make an interesting point, And that's that, you know, this 12 step process or system like, man, it can be applied in anyone's life, like even outside of recovery. I mean, and and you see uh, it, it being applied in a lot of different th- uh, ways. You know, think about it. I mean, there's just some interesting concepts. You know, like when I talk to people that aren't in recovery, they're like, wow, that's pretty mm-hmm. interesting. You know, basically like this, I'm not in charge of what goes on around me, doing things like taking you know, an inventory, which is basically just looking at the facts of like, and and taking responsibility for stuff in (laughs) in my life and, you know, doing things like uh, service where I mean, it's really just, it's just kind of a cool process, whether you're, whether you're in recovery or not. So I'm with you. I mean, I think there are, there are many aspects that could really benefit and and make anyone's life uh, a little bit better, whether they're struggling with drugs and alcohol or 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 not you know like it
1: doesn't matter like like i said drugs are just a symptom man but like everybody i feel you know deals with some type of trials and tribulations in their life absolutely and these 12 steps is all it is is just a guide it's just a guide to being a better human like a better you know productive member of society sure and we all can better ourselves Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're an addict or or you're just a, you know, a a normie, you know, it it doesn't matter. You can always better your life. You can always be a better person. You can always be of service to others.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that, man. I really love that. So uh, I want to jump into the music a bit here, Joe. So uh, let me ask you, like, how much do you think music plays a role in your recovery? Like, how does that relate for you?
1: So when I first got sober Mm -hmm. and uh, I was in treatment, like I said, nothing happens by coincidence. Maybe then I thought so. But looking back, I can see it's not. But uh, they just so happened to place me in a room with another acoustic musician. Oh, that's cool. He had his guitar there. Okay. And uh, I just remember picking up that guitar like, and I started playing it and uh it brought you know it brought back a lot of good memories you know yeah. of, of you know before the drugs you know yeah. before i started getting high because music was always like such a big influence for me it was i loved music and um i picked this guitar up and uh, i started writing songs again and you know it was very different like in the be- like in the beginning when i was 19 years old and I was in like this pop punk emo band. Um, I wanted be, to be like the next uh, Blink-182 or the next Jimmy Eat World. Yeah. I was writing songs to be famous, right?
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: But here I am 10 years later. And uh, I just have 10 years of heartache, man. 10 years of pain and, and built up frustration and emotion and fears. And uh, I started writing songs again as an outlet for those emotions, and uh, it ultimately saved my life. Because in the beginning, I was very stubborn. You know, spending 10 years on the streets, like, you don't wanna come to a treatment center and have some book smart therapist tell you about how (laughs) your addiction is. Like, you lived my life, you have not been in my shoes, like, get out of here. Like, there's no way you can possibly relate to what I'm going through right Mm. now. Uh, and that was just me being stubborn, you know? Um, but the, the the guitar and the music is was my outlet. It was very therapeutic for me. And I carried that, you know, uh, until you know, I began to believe in the program and believe in the things that they were telling me. Uh, because in the beginning, like I was very ignorant to AA. I was ignorant to the 12 steps. I didn't think there were some words in a book or some steps in a wall that were going to save me from myself. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I continue to do it anyways. I did it, you know, even though yeah. I didn't believe in it or want to do it, you know, and even as far we can take it as far as like the God aspect, you know, mm-hmm. the spiritual side, mm-hmm. um, you know, did I believe in God that I, was I raised in church? Yes. Uh, but coming in, I was very God fearing, you know, um, uh, but after a while of writing music and dealing with my emotions and working the steps, I began to see uh, the brighter side of life. You know, things started getting better for me. And I began this, as I began developing this relationship with my higher power, and things started happening in my life, and he started blessing me through putting in the work and the action. Sure. Uh, I began to see it was more God loving, not yeah. God fearing. Um, uh, but music was very, very influential and very, uh, like I said, therapeutic for me in the beginning, Yeah, uh, still to this day.
0: Well, so, you, you know, sometimes we'll hear, like, musicians or artists say that they were way more creative when, when drinking and, and getting high and stuff like that, you know, compared to, to being sober. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, did you kind of have a period where it was like, like, I think even, you know, if we want to uh, keep it to a, an artist in Recovery, I think even Eminem's talked about this. Like, after he got sober, like, you know, it was kind of tough, like, rapping again and, and writing songs. And so- Did you have a period where you were like, okay, this is kind of, this is a little bit different than
1: before? Okay, so that's not my experience. Okay, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Sure. Uh, if you remember in the beginning, I told you, like, I was, I didn't ease my way into this. Yeah. You know, I, right. I was like pretty much like pedal to the metal right. straight from the gate. Right. So all my guitars, all my equipment, everything went straight to the pawn shop. Right to the pawn shop. Yep. <laughs> there was no writing. I didn't experience any kind of creative aspect of it. <laughs> like, uh, okay. I was okay. like smoke crack, shoot heroin, sell all my stuff, homeless. Mm. That's it. No music involved. Nothing mm. just I just wanted to get high. Yeah. Um, so that, that wasn't my experience, unfortunately. Um, okay. but, but even so, man, like today, I enjoy having a clear mind. You know, I, I enjoy being able to think more clearly and be more aware. Uh, I think I'm more aware without the mind and mood altering substances. So,
0: yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I think that's, I think that's probably just like one of the many lies that we tell ourselves about and everyone's, you know, everyone's experience is different. Right. So Mm -hmm. I I appreciate you just, you know, being honest and telling, you know, what your experience is with it. But I think that's one of the lies that we tell ourselves, right. That I'm not going to be able to do something as well, or I'm not going to be successful at X, Y, Z because, you know, I'm not getting high anymore or drinking anymore. um, You know, I don't have this lubricant or, or whatever it is. Maybe if someone's like, you know, a lot of people that are hooked on drugs and drinking get into sales, obviously, because they can, you know, just get messed up all the time and still go to work, you know, and um, but that, that's just not the that hasn't been my experience either. It's like, really, if anything, I just removed this huge barrier that was holding me back from being even better at whatever it is I want to do. Uh So so I, I really appreciate you saying that that was just, you know, that hasn't been your experience at all now uh, you actually have a new single that you just dropped called anxiety right and and I was jamming it and so uh and so in the song you reference struggling to deal with the little things in life and and I want you to share in just a second what you're referring to but when I was listening what it made me think about is really how in recovery it hasn't been the the big things like deaths and, and stuff like that, that have shaken me. It's been the little stuff. Like, man, the first thing that always comes to mind, I don't know if this is a alcoholic and addict thing, but it's driving like someone cutting me off in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll just tell you real quick. I've heard more than one time uh, situations where like I've been in a meeting and I've heard someone say that they were driving someone you know cut them off they flip the finger the other person flipped the finger back like not very spiritual right and uh and then they both pull up to the same meeting
1: (laughs) (laughs) i've heard heard
0: that multiple times but but tell me like in in the song anxiety like what did you mean by the little things
1: so it was something along those lines okay yeah me personally Mm -hmm. uh I tend to overthink like everything. I'm an overthinker. I overanalyze things. I look too deeply into things and, uh, I make mountains out of molehills. you know, uh, as far as like I could I could take one aspect just like, okay, I'll see certain people be on my page. Okay. Follow my music and they'll be sharing it, liking, commenting, and uh, there'll be people that I respect, you know, and that I'm close to. And I, I, I don't know. I think it's a sense of like expectation. Like I, I just expect them to support and follow and share all my things and uh, they'll drop off. You know, I won't see them for a couple months and they won't be sharing anything. And then I just start overthinking. Like, well, what do I do to piss them off? Mm. Well, why, why are they doing that now? Like, why? dude, we were friends, man, we were friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I start overthinking and then I start getting in my head and that carries on and, and, and stems out to where like now I'm like irritable and discontent and I'm starting to, you know, lash out at my family. You know, I'm starting to be in a grumpy mood. And then next thing you know, uh, you know, it's just, it, it, I overthink everything. You know, it's the little things. It stems from the littlest things. Like you said, you know, somebody cutting you off in your car, somebody not sharing my music or, you know, this coworker uh, didn't really, you know, do something that I expected them to. And, and it, it, like I said, it, it, it falls, it, it, for me, it, it comes down to uh, false expectations. There you, you go. Know? And that's that's one of my character defects. I expect someone to do something that they say or you know, I expect them to act a certain way. And then when they don't, I I so to speak, I get butthurt. You yeah. Know? I can't
0: relate to that at all, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you you also have a new album coming out soon called This Is Me. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Oh man, this this album I think is probably like my greatest piece of work yet it's awesome a lot of emotion in this uh, because uh prior to this album i was signed to a record label okay you know, and uh it was a sober record label okay okay and um things just didn't pan out the way that i wanted them to pan out you know uh it wasn't it was a, it was a lot of smoke and mirrors mm. uh to say the least Uh, I ended up being forced to be somebody who I wasn't, you know, uh, all for the sake of image. You know, I I wasn't allowed to talk about my family. Uh, Nobody was allowed to know about my family for the sake of sales and image. And the music industry can be grimy, you know. uh, Me as a person in recovery, it started to affect me, you know, so much to the point where I was having thoughts about drinking, you know, or, or going back out. And I just didn't want that. So um, regardless of the contracts in place, regardless of the money at stake, I walked away.
0: Um, Good for you, man.
1: I have a set of morals, you know, and and I'm not going to break them for anybody. Um, I walked away from it, dealt with a a huge legal battle in in and out of court. Okay. Uh, Still going through it. Uh, But I chose to be independent. know and and for a short period of time i actually contemplated giving it all up like i almost stopped doing music but then i realized you know how many messages i get every single day of how the music is helping others you know And, and uh i just was like man that would be selfish of me you know and i was just letting the fear get the best of me uh because i I was signed to a record label. I did have people who did all the behind the scenes stuff. Like they did all the marketing, yeah. you know, they had the studios where all I had to do was just show up, you know, and, and they had a, a person for everyone. Or uh, they had a person for, you know, every little job to help my musical career grow. Okay. And uh, once I left, I was like, man, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. Hmm. You know, and I, I just, For a short period of time, I almost gave up, but I didn't. I uh, researched and I learned how to do it myself independently. Um, I went on a nationwide tour in October, which was very successful. It was my first uh, independent solo like nationwide tour, and it, it was a success. So that was like my boost of uh, confidence. Like, you know what? I can do this on my own. I don't need a record label. I don't need anybody to support me. Like I can do this on my own. Um, so I, I, I didn't, I wrote and recorded this new album, uh, called this is me. Um, it's not some fake false image. You know, I put my heart and soul into this. I have songs about my family on there. I have songs about, uh, you know, my struggle, you know, songs about my faith, songs about addiction and, and the cool thing about me and this album is, um, I growing up, I listened to a lot of different music. I had a lot of different musical, um, influences, everything from, you know, Tupac, Biggie to Metallica, Pantera. Uh, to, to Blink-182, to Ed Sheeran, to I'm kind of like all over the place, even yeah. to like Luke Combs, you yeah. know, yeah. country. So the songs on this album, it, it's very diverse. It has everything from, you know, country pop songs to, you know, rock songs to hip hop to R&B. And it's just kind of like, it's well-rounded. It's, it, there's a song on this album for everyone. That's awesome, Uh, and and I'm very excited. You know, all these songs have top notch, uh, you know, engineering and producing. You know, the the album itself it sounds great. It's my best piece of work yet, and uh, I'm actually going into the studio on Monday to put the final mastering on it, and uh, we're gonna set up the release date for either end of February or very beginning of March.
0: Awesome. That's awesome. Well, before we wrap up here, man, what is one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the sober nation?
1: Just speaking on my personal experience.
0: Yeah, please.
1: You know, if you're out there and you're struggling, you know, and and you're feeling like there's no light at the end of the tunnel and you just want to give up, I promise you everything that you're going through is for a very specific reason, Hmm. all the way down to the people who are in your life. You know, everything happens for a very specific reason. And, um, I was taught early on that, um, everything you do, you know, like, put it into God's hands, right? Mm -hmm. And later on down the road, you'll be able to look back and see God's hands in everything you do. Um, You know, and and that stems all the way back to, you know, I don't think it's ironic that the same best friend who introduced me to drugs, 10 years later would be the same person who got me my train ticket to get sober? Wow. You know, yeah. I, mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, they just so happened to put me in a room with another acoustic musician in treatment, mm. who now we're still good friends to this day. He lives in Ohio and he's sharing his story through music, wow. doing it professionally, you know, all the way to uh, my, my friend, uh, Ren One. Um, I was ripping and running with him. I was homeless with him. Uh, He went to prison in Baltimore for five years and I came down here and got sober and, and I never thought about him a day after that. You know, I never thought about him after that, Hmm. but uh, he got out of prison and he started doing music about recovery and everything. And now, um, I am his daughter's godfather. Wow and he actually was just on the nationwide tour with me in october and we're actually already have like 11 shows booked for our next tour this summer wow that's awesome and and it's gonna we're gonna take this one international to the uk Hmm. so there were times in my life where i was so broken and hopeless and i didn't see any future for me i didn't see any purpose other than either dying with a needle in my arms or getting caught robbing that bank doing football numbers in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, God gives us choices, you know, and no matter how far gone, you think you are, no matter, you know, <clears throat> no matter how lost you are, I promise you everything that you're going through right now is for a reason. Yeah. It's up to you to make that choice mm-hmm. to better yourself.
0: That's great advice, man. Yeah. And that's, that's absolutely been, been my experience here. And I, I really love, man, I mean, you were just telling us, you know, about, you know, what happened, what it was like. And at the same time, you know, I'm seeing these photos with you and your family behind you. And I think that right there just like sums up what is possible in this deal, you know, you're, you're, you really are, it, you're never too far gone. I think that's a really, a really great way to, to put it. Yeah. So. I
1: actually say it in one of my songs on the new album, how many times, um, you know, as long as you have air in your lungs, hmm. you still have a chance to make it right. Wow. You know I mean, it doesn't matter how many times you got it wrong. Yeah. It doesn't matter. All that matters is how many times you get it right. It only takes once. You know?
0: That's very true. That's very true. Well, you can connect with Joe on Facebook, be sure to keep an eye out for his new album. Uh, this is me, which you'll be able to find on all major music streaming platforms. Thanks again for coming on with me today, Joe. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.